Hey, thanks for listening to The Whole Artist with Courtney Rue. I'm Courtney Rue, and our guest today is Wendy Davis. Wendy recently starred on OWN's hit series Love Is as Wiser Nuri, her fourth series regular role. What? She is widely known for her portrayal of Colonel Joan Burton for seven seasons on Lifetime Television's popular drama Army Wives. She was nominated for several awards for her work on that show. Wendy has been singled out for her stellar work many times. An example of this was when The Hollywood Reporter reviewed the Steven Spielberg ABC pilot High Incident. Wendy booked a small guest-starring role on the show. The Hollywood Reporter wrote, The large and strikingly good cast all make outstanding first impressions, and Wendy Davis is magnificent as a cop's widow. Wendy was then offered a series regular role on the ABC show. Other recent credits include the sci-fi film Encounter with Luke Hemsworth. Television shows include Bull and CIS, Major Crimes, Criminal Minds, Designated Survivor, and a five-episode arc on Scandal, to name a few. In 2010, Wendy founded ActingPros.com while shooting Army Wives on location in Charleston, South Carolina. After shooting her day's work on Army Wives, Wendy taught a group of highly motivated, trained local actors audition and close-up classes in the studio cafeteria on the lot. Several of them transformed from amateurs to professional working film and television actors. Wendy continues to work professionally and help actors reach their dreams of becoming highly paid working professionals through her free audition secrets and online courses at actingpros.com. Check out her Instagram at RealWendyDavis. I'm super excited for you all to meet Wendy Davis if you don't already know her. I've been taking classes with her for the last three to four months and she has just completely changed my whole audition process first and then I took her close-up class and wow. I had a lot to learn. It's funny, you don't even know what you don't know until you take the right class. Just an FYI, Wendy and I recorded this over two sessions. So some of this comes from the first session that we recorded a while ago, and some comes from a session we recorded last week. And while we didn't mention it a lot... In part of this episode, we talked about what is happening this week. And by that, we mean the protest for Black Lives Matter, if you're listening to this sometime in the future. So we talk about Wendy's acting career, what it's like to find out you're going to be a series regular, why she teaches classes. We go into a little bit in depth about her classes. Wendy is just so generous and is really passionate about helping actors, which is why I love her so much. We also talk about the belief you need to have in yourself and those stories that we tell ourselves about how we're not enough and we can't do it. You really have to be aware of the stories you're telling yourself. And you have to know how to transform those limiting beliefs so that you can keep moving forward in this career. You can believe in yourself. You can do it in spite of the fear. What I'd like to do after this interview with Wendy is take a moment to give you an exercise that allows you to really investigate those beliefs and turn them around. So please stay after the interview if you'd like to learn how to believe in yourself. Hi, Wendy. Thank you so much for coming to the show. Well, not coming. You're you're in your house. I'm in mine. But, you know, for being here. 
Of course, Courtney. Of course. I love you so much, and you're so incredible, and I'm, I'm so excited that you're going to be sharing your wisdom and just supporting our community of actors. I appreciate that, girl. Thank you. That's what I love about you, too. It's like it's nice when, um, when people like you who have success share that with others and contribute, and it's just a lovely thing. I'm I wanted to start off talking about, you've been a series regular several times now, which is, I know almost uh, every actor that I talk to is like a dream role, right? To be a series regular on a, on a show. So, you know, did anything have to shift for you mentally, physically, emotionally before you became that series regular? Let's see. Well, first of all, yes, you have to believe that that is your destiny. And the biggest thing that I can say is when you step into that position of, you know, I am going to be a series regular on a television show, what do I need to do to prepare for that? It's, it's, it's really smart to reverse engineer mm-hmm. your career in that way. So if you know that you're going to be a series regular on a television show, then that means that you're going to have to really become, um, obviously your acting has to be very strong. Um, But also you need to learn about the camera, how the camera, how you need to modify your performance for the camera, specifically the close-up. You need to become an expert at auditioning for film and television, which is different from theater. Those are the things that are really, really important. If you know that that's where you're going, then write out a list of what what you need to do to prepare for that. That's that's what I would say. So, like, you reverse engineered. So uh, tell me about before you were series regular and then your list you created and then how that shifted and how that felt for you. Okay, so I have a background in theater. I have a degree in theater from Howard University. And I love theater and I did well there in the program. But I knew that I wanted to do film and television. So this is a funny story. So I was an extra on this TV show and uh, in Washington, D.C. while I was in college. And it was a show called A Man Called Hawk. And so I was uh, there and I, I couldn't understand what uh, Avery Brooks was doing because he's this really incredible theater actor. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't see anything in his performance. I mean... I, I it was, totally it was, was boring, maybe? It was you? boring. It was boring because I was standing way off to the sideline. And they would be shooting in, like, I, I didn't know at the time, but they were shooting his close-up. And I was like, what in the world? Coming from theater, I just didn't understand why his performance was like nothing. I couldn't see anything mm-hmm. because my expectation of a performance was that of a performance in a, in a theater. And so I just didn't understand what the heck was going on with that. So I knew that there was something different about film and television than theater. Here, this guy was a big star, and this is what he was doing. Even though I didn't understand it, I knew that I knew enough to know that there was something that I had to learn. <laughs> because yeah. they're all saying that was great. Yeah. And on the sidelines, I'm like, what was great? <laughs> that sucked. <laughs> like, that sucked. <laughs> right? So I knew that I had to learn something that I didn't know in order to work in film and television. And interestingly enough, on that on that show, 
on that particular episode, there was a guy who was playing thug number one. And uh, so I'm at the, we're eating lunch at the cafe, in the cafeteria and thug number one, I said, well, listen, I really want, I, I'm graduating from college. I have a degree in theater. Where should I go, New York or L.A.? And he said, well, what do you want to do, theater or film? I said, well, I, w- I want to do film and television. He says, go to L.A. Plus, it's warm out there, so when you're broke, you can always just go outside and go to the beach. You can do a mm. lot of fun things for free. <laughs> and uh, that thug number one was Sam Jackson. No. <laughs> yes. No way. <laughs> it was Sam Jackson. <laughs> I was like, thug number one. <laughs> when I first saw Sam Jackson in, uh, I forget what movie wow. it was. But I was like, my God, that's thug number one. So Wendy, you are not like, old enough to have that story be <laughs> no seriously like he was a he was a guy no oh see oh girl please i, I know I, you know jesus and i were in college together come on <laughs> but yeah yeah th- yeah that was sam jackson who wow. actually gave me that advice so some good advice even then you know even then he knew like listen if you there's there's a culture like the film and television culture it's happening in la and a lot of people who are, this podcast is going to be broadcast nationally and internationally, hopefully. Hopefully, yes. Um, and, um, you know, there there are things, there are certain skills that an actor needs to learn to position themselves to be hireable for film and television. It's not just being a strong actor, because I know so many really strong actors that struggle with the film and television audition process. Right? Yeah. And you're and, such a good teacher, of these skills you really are and because i i know that people have tried to teach me what you taught me and they've said it in different ways but it's never really sunk in until i took your class like the whole thing about film is visual tv is visual you know i used to rush through my lines like i was on the stage in theater and like projecting loudly and you know like but the the whole thing about being able to pause and take those moments, uh, the moments of discovery and the moments of decision, like you talk about in class, mm-hmm. and really take your time, like that would always scare me. I would always be like, well, I have to get through my scene because I'm not important and they, they need to get to the important things. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's not telling the story correctly. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. There are just a couple of secrets yeah. that I feel like people don't really talk about them one because i feel like a lot of teachers a lot of acting teachers stop acting they stopped acting Mm -hmm. a long time ago and i feel like they get somewhat precious with the material they get precious with the craft and the art and now nothing against those teachers because they're incredibly vital and i also feel like that kind of uh, preciousness is very valuable in the foundational work, right? Those kinds of standards in a way. However, if that teacher has has never been on the battlefield, then it's challenging for them to understand uh, where to, you know, what can be modified or what needs to be modified for film and television. Right. And that, I find that to be a challenge. I don't want to, I'm I'm not speaking disparagingly about acting instructors, I just think that sometimes, if you haven't actually been in the game, it can be challenging to talk about the current game that's happening yeah. right now. 
that's all. I'm yeah, and I, but I just appreciate that you are someone who's in the game a lot and working a lot at high levels, and then you also teach because I feel like a lot of people who are at that level then don't either have the time or, or have the desire to bring that back to the community and teach that. And But, you know, in my opinion, it's like the more, especially in Chicago, like, the more we can help Chicago actors be really good at their craft, the more work is going to come to Chicago and the, the more we're going to have opportunities because people think of Chicago as pe- good actors and Absolutely. skilled at and they TV. Do, I mean, they already do. People right. think of Chicago actors as good actors, but they also think of them as good theater actors. Theater actors, yeah. So yeah. bringing the, the TV skills, the film skills is really important. Mm-hmm. I am the same way as you, where I want to share everything that I've learned that has helped me, and never once do I have the thought, this is hurting me to share this information. So does that ever cross your mind, or what's your attitude, what's your mindset on, like, there's only so many jobs to go around, and, like... Yeah, I just don't I've, believe in that. I guess yeah. I, I just... And I, I just... I truly, truly feel that what is for you is for you, mm-hmm. and what isn't isn't. And there's no amount of manipulation or withholding that you can do that will prevent yourself or prevent another from getting a job or vice versa. Right. If you believe in God, I just feel like God has a plan for you and it's your gig. That's your gig. And I, and that also takes off a lot of pressure as well, you know, because it is very important for you to do your best in each audition. However, once you've done your best, you just give it up, let it go. Yeah. And so is that how you, because I know Michael Kostroff talks a lot about like going into the audition and being like, here's what I have for you. If you like it, great. If you don't, that's okay. On to the next one. Like, do you do any sort, and I know you do because it's in your class, but Mm -hmm. do you do any sort of mindset preparation before an audition, after an audition to help you stay in that place? Absolutely. So, um, as you know, the audition game, I have a, a, an audition system that I use religiously, and that's one of the things I share with other actors. But what I love about using the audition game is not only does it have a step-by-step process for breaking down the material, it all also has a section for mindset preparation and then post-audition score, which is all also very helpful in terms of really pinpointing what worked and what needs work. So in the mindset portion, the first thing you do is you identify what's holding you back or what negative thoughts you may be feeling. The moment you bring that negativity to light, you're no longer trying to conceal it or hide it. I call them, you know, what are the lies you tell yourself? Mm -hmm. What are the stories you're telling yourself? It's actually got you a little bit nervous right now. And so one of my favorite lies that I love to tell myself is I'm terrible with like medical jargon, (laughs) right? Like I love that lie. It's so good. It's so good to me. And so that will make me nervous. Yeah. So I, I will first voice the lie that I'm telling myself. And then the second thing I'll do is I'll ask myself the question, am I willing to give it up? Yeah. And the answer is yes. And the, the, the other mindset step that we take with the audition game is doing it for someone else other than yourself. Mm. So I have found 
that whenever people are doing something for themselves, they tend to be very petty and small-minded. However, when you're doing something for someone else, people become much bigger, much better than they would normally be. Another thing that's really important is to identify who you're doing it for. That's important because oftentimes when people are doing it for themselves, they tend to play smaller. But if you're doing something for someone else, oftentimes that will give us a sense of courage. For example, a mother may not be able to lift a car, but if her child is trapped under that car, she may very well be able to lift it. I always do my auditions for my parents because they work really hard to give me the opportunities that I've been provided. And they dealt with a lot of things uh, in their younger years. And whenever I do an audition for my parents, I really could care less about who's in the room. Mm. Because my parents and my love for them is much bigger than any person that could be in that room. Yeah. And so it really does strengthen me when I when I Takes when the I do pressure that. off too. Yeah, absolutely. Brene Brown talks about adding the words, the story I'm telling is before you say some, one of those lies that you were talking about. So like the story yeah. I'm telling is I'm not good at medical jargon. Totally. And and to identify it as a story like mm -hmm. that is super important because oftentimes we relate to these stories as if they're real and true. Right. And then we begin to live our lives as if those stories are true. And that definitely holds us back. For sure. Because you got to believe it. Absolutely. If you believe that you're bad at medical jargon, well, the very moment you have a word that is maybe not in your normal vernacular, you're going to stumble over it. And most likely you're stumbling over it because of that belief and not right. necessarily because you can't say that word. Just because you think a thought doesn't mean it's true. And if you believe that it's true, that's the problem, not that it is true. Absolutely. I just realized I should teach a class on medical jargon because <laughs> I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> you probably should. That That's actually a really good idea. Maybe we could have I'm a train. I'm in. I'm so in. <laughs> Do you have any advice on how to believe in yourself? Uh, there's a great quote, which is like, how you do anything is how you do everything, something like mm -hmm. that. And it's so true. So if you have this limited belief in your auditions, that limited belief is also paralyzing you in your life. So it's a real opportunity to investigate where these limited beliefs are stopping you or limiting beliefs are stopping you and then really work to dismantle them. I have to say that I've been in the business for about 25 years and the business has changed so much since mm -hmm. I've been in the business. When I started, there was a part of me that really wanted to direct, but at the time filmmaking was such an expensive proposition that I just never thought that I could direct without having the backing of a studio or without having millions of dollars. So I decided not to double major with um, acting and directing, even though that was something that I was passionate about. And now you can literally direct a film on your phone. Right. And, and, um, <laughs> and I say to my, I, I say to my daughter all the time, she's 17. And I say, listen, every impulse that you have, everything that is interesting to you, investigate it, follow through with it. And even yeah. 
if it doesn't seem possible to do it now, that could very well change. It could change overnight. Years, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. When I first first started in the business, there were very few people of color as the leads of shows of television shows. And my last series, there was a young African American woman who was the lead of the show. And there you have it. Like, yeah. Boom. She was, what, 23, 24 years old? It was amazing. Things change. Whatever inspires you or whatever is interesting to you, follow your nose. Go for it. Yeah, because you never know. You never know what's going to happen. Like, I can't believe how much has happened in the last week. I think that this is an old wound that we've had since the founding of this country and until we really deal with this topic, it's going to be painful, I believe. It'll be painful for a lot of us until we deal with it, till we get it in the light. Till we all deal with it. Until we all deal with it. Right. And right. I, you know, I, I remember a time when people would say like, racism's over. <laughs> we have a black president. You know? <laughs> and just like anything else if you are pretending if there's a festering wound that's just below the surface but you're pretending that it's not there it's going to become malignant and i think that's yeah. what's happened so i'm actually thrilled that this is now coming to light because this is the first step to healing i believe definitely you can't just push it down and push it away and say we're all good it's all good yeah, here. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think there's other limiting beliefs that come up for my clients and I'm sure every a lot of actors out there and that is beliefs around money, beliefs around age that that seem to never go away even when times change. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. like you said it's important to investigate those beliefs, flip them around, reframe them. And to know that it's not always going to be the way that it is now and that things Absolutely. can change. Absolutely. And, you know, just before we started to record, you know, I was telling you about, you know, the show idea that I have. And 10 years ago, even 20 years ago, that would be something that would not be possible. But right. now, given the current climate, that's something that I think is now a viable pitch. Absolutely. To the network. And... To make your point that things change. So it's very, very important to develop yourself as if the things that you would like to see happen in your career are already done. Mm. Work your way back. Like, okay, this is, I'm already a series regular. What do I need to have in place to actually make that happen? It's a way to reverse engineer your success. Mm -hmm. If you know that you're struggling with your auditions, then you need to quick, fast, in a hurry become an expert at auditions. If you know that you don't understand how to create a powerful close-up, then you need to get with that. Like there are things that you can do so that when that opportunity does come, you're ready. Absolutely. Taking your close-up class, you know, just what, a week or a month before I had a close-up in Chicago Med that I, it was unexpected that it was going to be mm. a close-up. And I didn't know what to do. I don't, I think it turned out fine because I got help from a kind, loving director who really worked with me and didn't give up on me. And with the help of Yaya, 
in who is my partner in the scene. But like, it felt really awful to not have that skill before I was on set. So it's like, you can't wait till you get on set to have these skills. You have to just assume that at some point you're going to be on set and need these skills and get these skills. You, Courtney, are exactly the kind of actor that I'm absolutely obsessed with helping (laughs) because you're very talented and there are a couple of things that you need to know to be powerfully successful in film and television. There's just like a couple of things (laughs) that you need to know. And people aren't sharing them. And uh, I feel like the close-up is one of those skills that people don't really talk about. It is a make-or-break skill. Believe me, I have replaced within the last five years two actors because they were too broad for film and television. They were theater-based actors and they were not able to make the transition and they brought ended up bringing me in. And I always feel uncomfortable about talking about it because I have nothing but love and respect for all actors. And I absolutely hate to see something like that right. over a skill that is completely learnable. Well, it's not like you're hoarding this information and you're like, ha I, I got your jobs. <laughs> it's like you're helping people learn that so it doesn't happen to them. Absolutely. And and I just feel it's really, really important. I'm, I really, there are a lot of places that teach actors how to act. That's not my game. Mm-hmm. That's really not my game. I mean, I, I love. You movies. should already know how to act before you yeah. come to your class. Yeah, because it's, that's just not my game, right? What I love to do is I love to help people that are already good. They're already solid, get to the next level. And with the audition prep and the close-up class, I feel like that really prepares them to work professionally in film and television. Did you check out the Strengths Finders after our conversation at all to see about, I don't know if you remember this, but um, I told you I'm the same way. And it's called, the strength is called a maximizer. And you work with people that are at a high level and bring them to the next level instead of working with complete beginners. And some people are great at working with complete beginners, but like you and I you both. Told- about that but yeah i didn't check into <laughs> that's because... okay no, you wait, told me about something me. that i haven't checked into either wait tell me what is it it's called strength finder. strengths finder 2.0 i think is the book and there's a quiz that you can take and it tells you your top five strengths like my top strength is positivity which is like duh but some people don't know that that is a strength some people don't know that what they're really good at is actually different from what other people are good at they're like oh that's just you know that's just normal to be good at being positive it's not Mm -hmm. um so you learn your top five strengths and then it teaches you how to use them in your work in your life yeah positivity and maximizer and futuristic where i can like see you know i can look at a big picture in the future is one of mine Mm -hmm. um and honestly i'm blanking on the other two of the top five but yeah it's i like well, I, I about love myself. that idea <laughs> yeah i love that i love that though because it is very very important to know exactly what you're really good at and yeah i just really get so much joy out of seeing someone who already has a well-built acting machine instrument and just showing them the way how to create a powerful close-up a compelling close-up And then to watch that person within a few months go on to book major jobs. Like, that's my jam. Yeah. I love it. 
and it happens to you and then you make them take you out for a lobster dinner. That's right. That's how I, that's how I get my lobster dinners. (laughs) Well, I can't wait to give you your lobster dinner. I can't wait. I cannot wait. (laughs) <laughs> fly let's out. do that in jamaica shall yeah, we shall. <laughs> under a waterfall absolutely <laughs> oh my goodness um so you in in your bio you talk about how you started actingpros.com it was while you were a series regular which is so like you think about teachers who teach because they're not acting and they need to make money like no you're a series regular and you're like i got to teach these people these skills like yeah at night while i'm not working <laughs> what is yes. wrong with you <laughs> well let's just say that they really needed it I mean, you know well um, you want your show to be successful right right well i mean so army wise was very successful But we also had our main cast was eight series regulars. So similar to your show where you may be heavy in this in one episode and in the next episode, you know, you're just working a couple of days. So I had a lot of free time on my hands Mm -hmm. and I just sort of fell in with some of the extras and they were starting to audition for bigger roles because there was a lot of action happening in the Southeast. And they would show me their auditions. And the first thing that I noticed is that the auditions were theatrical in nature as if if preparing for a theater audition. Right. They were much too broad physically for film and television. And they also had no idea how to tell the simple story of a two or three page scene. And I just felt like, man... um, Okay, well, I'm not, I don't really like to garden, so <laughs> I'll just hang out with these And there are no horses and, out with you right. in Atlanta. <laughs> That's right. I didn't have my horses there. So I literally just put together a group of about 20 actors and... The producer on location gave me permission to use the cafeteria to work with these actors. So after work, we would meet once or twice a week and we would just work in the cafeteria. And it was amazing. It was really fantastic. And a couple of those actors have gone on to become really serious working actors. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just such a joy to see them working all the time. Yeah. And uh, one in particular, she was uh she was like a radio DJ. Oh wow. And she used to do musicals and uh in Me the too. local That's... yeah, musicals, the local community theater. Mm. And now she's just working so much. I'm just so incredibly proud of her and she hasn't booked her first series yet but i've had a lot of fish dinners from her <laughs> she's just like until i get my series no exactly but she's really made me a quite a few really amazing fish dinners that's so. amazing yeah it's been great you know i think it's so interesting because I've heard my entire life, like, do less, you're too big. Like, I guess now I'm trying to, like, dissect what is different about how you said it. And I don't know if I don't know I if can, I, can. I can tell you. Yeah. It's different. Tell me. It's, it's not what I it's not. It's actually not what I said. It's actually what you saw in the class itself, which is why the class is six weeks long, because I can tell you to bring it down. But it's not until you actually have repetitive practical application that you see week after week after week. If you're blowing out your close-up, it only takes a couple of weeks for you to really get 
Yeah. That that doesn't work. And maybe it was the close-up class more than the audition game pro class Mm -hmm. that really sunk in. When you think when you see it in other people, then you can also see that in yourself and trust that it's going to be okay, that you that you don't have to do something like you do the work beforehand. And maybe that's it, too, of like we do so much work breaking down the scene line by line. Who are you talking to? Like all the work that you I, for me anyway, I kind of forgot about after graduating college. And sure, that's a problem, right? If you're not doing that kind of work. Mm-hmm. the personal secret and every layer that goes into it, then you actually can do less and still have something going on. Absolutely. Because the camera captures everything, it right. captures your thought. And I think also one of the reasons why the classroom environment is so powerful for learning how to really create compelling close-ups is because you're solely focused on that one thing. When you are on set, there are so many things for you to consider, so many things that you need to be mindful of, and it's a results-based environment. In a classroom setting, you're free to fail, fail forward. Right. And I wouldn't say that that's necessarily true on set. There's a lot of pressure to get the shot and move on. Totally. Although I have felt, I mean, in the beginning, in the first two seasons of Chicago Med, I thought I was getting fired every day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) But that was the lies I was telling myself. (laughs) Right, exactly. I was about to say that. Yeah. Honey, what what lies were you telling yourself? Yeah, exactly. Right. (laughs) But, you know, and, and they probably, you know, you've, because you are part of the family there, the director was very accommodating and worked with you. But mm-hmm. I've seen in other situations where if you're the new kid on the block or if it's a pilot and, and you aren't able to convey your story powerfully, draw the audience in, uh, it can go in the wrong direction. It can go the wrong way. So Yeah. Yeah, you've you've definitely seen that. (laughs) Yeah, like to me, I just, I mean, for me, I mean, I'm just, I'm like a class junkie. I just love, you know, like if I have to go to the gym by myself, I probably won't go and I probably won't work out as hard. But if somebody's meeting me there, (laughs) I'll go. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So. You got to have that accountability too. And that's right. That's right. Yeah. You talk about in the class, the personality the the four different personalities and i mm-hmm. had actually taken what's called a disc assessment um mm. my husband was getting certified in it and it's for businesses and businesses learn how different types of personalities are in the business setting and mm-hmm. while i had the thought oh you could use this for acting for sure um mm-hmm. did not like actually do the process <laughs> of using it for my auditioning and when i'm reading scripts so where did that come from for you can you explain it a little bit and like how did you get the idea to use that in acting and and put it into place pretty much exactly what you said in terms of it's a system for use for marketers or people who are selling something to help them identify different personality types and how these people think. I don't know. I was just sort of surfing the net one day and I came across this document that was for a car dealership of how to sell to different (laughs) types of customers. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting because obviously when you're 
working on a play, you have an awful lot of time to develop a character and you have a lot of time to play with and fine tune and hone that character. But with these auditions that are less than 24 hours, I thought it would be very valuable to have a sheet that you could reference, that you could identify the personality type of the character that you're auditioning for. And then you can actually read the different ways that that person behaves. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I'm a controller and I know how I behave in situations. And it's, it's very easy for me to step into a role where the character is a controller. Right. Comes naturally to you. It comes naturally. Right. Like all of my inclinations are spot on. However... When I'm auditioning for a character that is not in my natural personality type, I just don't know how to create it or even gauge it. And so I came up with this personality type system that helps you to identify the personality type of the character. And then it tells you how that person thinks and behaves. And it's been very, very, very helpful. Uh, an example of that is I recently did an episode of Bull, and the character that I was playing was a supporter. It was a guest starring role, so I booked it, went to New York, chuckled the whole time that I was there because the director kept saying to me things like, before you say your line, I want you to look at your husband, get his approval, and then say your line. <laughs> You're like, um, nope. <laughs> Not and as I Wendy was the like, controller, but I re- right, like he kept saying, like, like he really, really, really wanted to set up this dynamic of this husband being, I guess, the mouthpiece for the family. Mm. And so every single time I said a single word, I had to refer to my husband first, and then, and I knew that because of this personality type. I knew that this person was a supporter and this laundry list of ways that this personality type behaves. I had those things on the sheet. So I knew exactly what he was talking about. And I always say, look, you may not necessarily enjoy playing a character that isn't in your natural personality type, but do you want that money? Because do you enjoy that paycheck? Yeah. Like I don't have like that guest starring role is probably going to be worth, you know, 30 or $40,000 to me when it's all said and done. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was worth, you know, I don't know, nine grand at the time. So it's a valuable little tool to have. You don't have to do it for the rest of your life, but you can go get that money and, 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 you know, play a character that's different than you. Right. And when you, like you said, when you have such a short time between when you get the script and you audition, it's nice to have a shorthand. You could fill out that character before you get on set a little more or understand that you can be a controller and a supporter, but controller is your primary and supporter is your secondary, like to make the character more real. But most of the time, writers don't have the time to write for TV, at least super three dimensional characters. Absolutely. Absolutely. There, and generally, it tends to be, you know, I would say the, like the leads, the, the series regulars tend to be controllers or promoters. Mm-hmm. And then oftentimes you will have guest cast. They will either be analytical, sometimes supporters. I mean, supporting roles. Su- <laughs> right. Supporters. And but you'll have you'll have all four personality types in your guest cast. But you generally won't see a supporter as the lead of a show because their nature is to support others. Right. 
And so, and I was like, in class, I was like, but Wendy, I know, I know one character who's a supporter. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, one. <laughs> exactly. So that's it. That's it. Now that's a secret for everybody out there who's interested in becoming series regular is that even if you are a different personality type than a controller or a promoter, most series regular characters are those two things. And so it just gives you a gauge of how much you have to pump it up to actually really present yourself in the way that a controller would do and hopefully get yourself a series. Yeah. And if someone wants to learn more about that, you have a worksheet on your website that they can sign up for your email, That's right? That's right. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. So you've been a series regular four times, yes? Mm-hmm. How have you grown with each series that you've done as a series regular? Oh, wow. This is really important. My very first series was a show called High Incident, and it was produced by Steven Spielberg. I was cast as a guest star in the pilot. The Hollywood Reporter reviewed the show and said, everybody's great. Wendy Davis is magnificent. And they made me a series regular. It was everybody's dream. Everybody's dream. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And so there were two things that I learned on that show. The first thing that I learned was that there were some gaps in my acting. I had come from a background of really planning everything in my acting. Like everything was just planned to the T. And the problem with that is that on set, things are very liquid. I mean, it's actually a problem on stage as well. But I would get on set and I would have a plan and then they would change it at the last minute or they would say, oh, instead of the kitchen, we're going to be in the living room. And I'd be like, what? Oh, my gosh. You know, yeah. and this was something it's that hard would to just, pivot. Yeah, it would just throw me off. Well, it's not hard now because I've actually addressed it. Right. So I'm on set. I'm on a TV show. I'm on a network TV show and I'm really struggling with how fast it is and how I how I would just get so thrown off if they changed anything with the material and if you've worked on a tv show you know that shit just changes like by the second oh yeah <laughs> it's like what you get in the table read is pure fiction right okay okay that's just so it never just how you think so... it's gonna be yeah absolutely steven spielberg was the executive producer it was dreamworks first one hour drama show and he invited everyone to come visit him on the set of jurassic park Oh, wow. And so I did that and Jeff Goldblum was there. And anyway, he asked me to help him go over his lines and uh, we did that. And as we were waiting for him to shoot his stuff, I asked him about this. I asked him, I said, listen, I'm having trouble with this one thing on the show. And he said, oh, he says, well, I teach a class that really helps with that. It's a Meisner class. It's an, an acting approach that really helps to free you up and live in the moment. And so I said, okay, great. So I, you know, next Monday I went and audited the class. It was great. And I said, hey, listen, I'm a series regular on this network TV show. So I'd love to jump into your advanced class. And they said, um, it doesn't work like that. You're going to have to be in the beginner's class. And I, I said, huh, don't you know who I think I am? <laughs> <laughs> and, they, and I said, well, that's how this works. It's beginner's class or you can't participate. You yeah. can't take this class. So I swallowed my little ego. And that was the best choice that I'd ever made in terms of my work because it really, really filled in my gaps. So the first lesson I want to encourage people to or the, the lesson was that if you have a gap in your work, 
There's no shame in that. Just go fill it in. Mm-hmm. I don't care where you are in your career. If you if you see something that you need to address, that you need to strengthen, just go take care of it. Have a beginner's mind. Yeah, absolutely. Have a beginner's mind. The second thing that I learned on that show was don't be a jerk. Um, <laughs> I, I was, uh, yeah, don't be a jerk. So I was uh, new and I was like, okay. I'm on a TV series and my perception of that was that you were, you'd arrived, you'd made it and that there was some room for being a jerk. Hmm. And so I was a little bit, you know, big headed and I'll never forget. I, I didn't get to work with like the number one makeup artist. I was working with second or third and he wasn't very good at his job. Hmm. And I, and I, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to look my best. Right. And I didn't really investigate that. And I just complained about it, right? And so I get a call from the executive producer and he's like, what the hell is your problem? (laughs) Turns out that those two went to college together. Oh. And he was actually dying from AIDS. Oh, my God. And so here I was sort of like acting like this, like I just didn't even pay attention to what was going on with this person. Because I was so focused on myself and so focused on what I thought it was to be a series regular. I'll never forget, Steven Spielberg used to sit down anywhere in the cafeteria. He would sit at a table full of extras as fast as he would sit at a table full of producers. Mm. And after this behavior was brought to my attention, I started watching him a lot and I said, I changed my mind. That's who I'm going to be on set. I'm going to be a person who stands for others. I'm going to always be that series regular that welcomes the guest cast, that always extends my support and makes them feel at home. So that both of those lessons were extremely valuable on that first first show. You talk about a lesson that you learned on Army Wives, dreading watching yourself in the first season. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yes. I don't remember exactly what I said about that. But yes, I do. (laughs) And I still to this day, I still struggle with watching my performances. One of the things I learned in the first season of Army Wives is so the character that I played on that show was a lieutenant colonel. I was working really, really hard to prove that I was a lieutenant colonel. And the problem with that is as an actor on a television show, you are a part of a machine. Your job is to do your part. Your job is not to run the entire machine. It's a little bit different. Like theater, there's so much more pressure on you to carry the entire show. But on television, your job is to do your part. So I was just trying too hard. Like I was proving that I was a soldier. The problem with that is that I would be in ACUs, which is the military uniform i would be riding in a tank (laughs) surrounded by soldiers so a little bit like it's too much yeah like 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 i have to just freaking laugh at it because you can see me like going like you gotta believe me i'm really i'm a soldier i'm a soldier i swear swear it you know and but look i'm a soldier i'm in the uniforms i'm on a tank i'm surrounded Mm -hmm. by soldiers they're taking my commands i can say that any kind of way i don't need to put a specific tone on it or it's already there it's done 
Now I just need to know how I feel about what's happening in the moment. And have a strong opinion about it. And And have a strong opinion about it. The other thing that's really important that I always talk about in class is always find a way for vulnerability to seep into your characters. Mm -hmm. It's so important because the audience just doesn't care until they see that vulnerability in you. You can be the toughest character. However, the moment the audience sees a slight bit of vulnerability and then you cover it, they connect with you. They connect with you in that moment. And so And you're human. That's right. That that's what makes you human and that's all we care about. Yeah. That's all we care about. Like one of my favorite examples of that is Breaking Bad Aaron Paul. Um, just the difference between him and Brian Cranston, who you're kind of like you love Brian Cranston, but He doesn't have the vulnerability that Aaron Paul's character has. And you're like, I know that this is a drug dealer. He's like selling meth. But I love him so much because he just like, you see his humanity. And that is the point of of what we do. Totally, Absolutely. And I love that example. I mean, I feel like with Brian Cranston's character, it was kind of built into his hero's journey. You know, he just started as a teacher and... So his vulnerability is built into his story in a lot of ways. absolutely. But yeah, I love Aaron Paul. He's so good. That guy is amazing. I Mm. love that guy. He's so good. So good. What has been your favorite experience in your career? If you can pick one, I know you probably can't pick one, but. I love the Hollywood stuff. I mean, that stuff is always a lot of fun. However, I want to say like my favorite thing about my career is when I see someone that I have helps do well yeah like that for me it's bigger than being nominated for awards or the fame it's not bigger than the money i like the money (laughs) the money part is good yeah the money part's fun the money part is really fun but i really really love when i see someone when i get an email from someone who i've worked with in the past and they say oh by the way thank you you've helped me so much and i'm working on this series or i just booked a film or Like, I don't know. That just tickles me. really does. In my um, life coaching certification, we talked about six human needs. And the two last needs out of the six are growth and contribution. And the other needs, like, you'll meet no matter what. Not everybody meets the need for growth and for contribution. But if you do, you'll be more fulfilled in life. So I think that for you, you you have a growth mindset. So do I. Mm. And you get a lot out of contributing to other people yeah it's just so good I mean there's just something that's so amazing about that as you know Mm -hmm. when you help others it's just there's just a feeling of for me love peace and like yeah absolutely like you made a difference I didn't mean to cut you off no you know you're you're the guest we want to hear you talk (laughs) um and you know I've already taken up a ton of your time twice (laughs) So I just want to ask, how do you take care of yourself and stay sane in this business? For me, definitely, it goes back to contribution. So as I mentioned earlier, I don't garden. So (laughs) literally, my hobby is my obsession with helping others. I mean, it's my thing. It's my favorite thing. And so by doing so, it gives me an opportunity to walk away from some of the challenges in the business For example, I mean, you know, you and I, we worked together through this whole coronavirus thing. Mm -hmm. And that alone, I feel, kept me healthy. Because 
just give you purpose. That, that's right. Gave me purpose. And I, and there were quite a few people that I know who didn't have that. They were literally going crazy uh, during the pandemic mm -hmm. and yeah, helping others just kind of gives me that balance so that when I'm walking into the room and we're talking about my very favorite subject acting and right. And so it just all works. Amazing. I love you. I love you too. Can you share what's going on in your acting world, in your coaching world, how people can get a hold of you? In my acting world, they say that we're opening up again on the 12th. June 12th is when they're saying Hollywood's going to open again. <laughs> I'm really excited about that because I wasn't sure how that was going to happen. So I'm really interested to see how that's going to play out. I teach uh, online acting courses. I have an audition approach as well as a close-up class. And, and you should take both. I think uh, <laughs> you should take Audition Game Pro first and then the close-up class. Yeah, that seems to be the natural order, yeah. I would say. Absolutely. And, you know, you can get information from me uh, at actingpros.com, uh, social media, Real Wendy Davis. Awesome. Thank you so much for being understanding and for coming back and talking. And of course, like I'll talk to you every week. So anytime, <laughs> exactly. just pick up the phone and call. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, oh, really? We're going to play that game? Yeah. Like we don't, we're not going to talk. <laughs> uh, and also I can't wait till you produce your show and I'm on it. Yes, I know. I'll buy you all the lobster dinners you want. Oh my gosh. I'll be like, Courtney's got this one. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait too. I mean, I, I feel like directing is definitely something I'm going to take on. Yeah, My daughter graduates from high school next year. And once she's 18 and I'm not responsible for her life anymore, <laughs> I'm on it. Congratulations to her next year. That's right. That's and to right. you. Thank you. Good job, Mama. <laughs> oh, you're so amazing. I love you. And I can't wait to be on set with you soon. That's right. Let's do it. <laughs> Bye, Wendy. Bye. And now a break from our sponsor and guest, Wendy Davis. Do your self-tape auditions get deleted by casting directors? In 2020, self-tape auditions are now the new normal. The dirty little secret casting directors don't want you to know about self-tape auditions is they will delete you within the first five seconds of your audition if they can't see or hear you due to poor self-tape quality. This is a real thing. Well, Wendy is here to stop that from happening to you. She's created HowToSelfTape.com where you can get access to the free How to Self-Tape Like a Series Regular Starter Kit. It's a collection of videos and downloadable guides to help you book self-tape auditions from home. It covers everything from easy lighting setups, audio options, to audition eyelines, and much more. Make sure the hard work you put into your self-tape auditions gets the attention you deserve. Go to howtoselftape.com and get access to How to Self-Tape Like a Series Regular Starter Kit. It's free! Cheers to being delete-proof and booking more jobs in 2020. Welcome back to the show. Okay, so before we wrap up, I want you to get a piece of paper and a pen. And if you're driving while you're listening to this, go ahead and shut off this podcast. Come back to this when you get home. But take out a piece of paper and a pen, and I want you to draw a line down the middle of the paper vertically so that there are two columns next to each other. 
On the left-hand side of the column, you're going to write down my problems. And you can write down any of those limiting beliefs that stuck with you from the episode, or maybe you have some of your own that you're aware of. Maybe there's something about it being too late for you to start as an actor. Maybe it's you're too old or you're too fat or you're too ugly or I'm not going to make it. What if I do make it and I fail? What if I just fail automatically? I'll never make enough money. I'll lose all my money. I'm a starving artist. Any belief that leaves you feeling less than. Whatever those limiting beliefs are for you, what's keeping you stuck? Write it down in the left-hand column. Go ahead and pause this and come back when you're done. Okay, did you do it? Now that you're unpaused, I want you to cross off the word problems and write the word illusions or stories. And then on the right-hand column, I want you to title it The Truth. And I want you to take each one of those things that you wrote down, each one of your stories, and I want you to write down the exact opposite and find out in your life or in someone else's life how the exact opposite has been true. Sometimes we just need to do a research project into our limiting beliefs. Like if you have a limiting belief that you won't work after a certain age, do a research project on people who are working in their 40s and 50s and 60s and however old you are or think you'll stop working and see who's doing the exact opposite of what you believe. Let's say we have a belief that you can't be an actor unless you've been doing it your whole life and you're like, there's no way I can start right now. Do a research project figure out who has started late in life and become a professional actor. What's really powerful is when you start to see that the opposite is true in your own life. We just cling on to the story that may or may not be true. Even if it is true, a lot of times the opposite is true as well. But we really cling to that limiting belief. In order to keep moving forward in this career, you have to be able to let go of those stories, release those stories, and really investigate what is actually true or what could be true for you. If you're willing to, go ahead and take a picture of it and either private message me on Instagram what came up for you or if you want to share it and share what you learned with other people, go ahead and tag me in a story or a post and I'll share it on my Instagram stories at Courtney Rue. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, subscribe, give it five stars and a cute little review. Thank you so much to those of you who have reviewed already. We have Jordan Getty, W Tree Oak, Ridiculous Patroness One, House Stalker 2019. These names, you guys are awesome. Shields 78, Marmy VP, MRC211, Velvet Fire, Sweet Caroline 2020. Thank you so much for your reviews on iTunes. I really appreciate it. If you want a shout out, give us a review. Thank you so much, Wendy Davis, for sharing your gifts with the world and for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on the podcast. Before I go, I need to give a special thank you to Jamie and Eric at Blythe Martin Productions for my music, to Joe Maza at Brave Lux for the photo and my logo, and to Mike Caputo at Pod Clubhouse for producing this podcast. The Whole Artist with Courtney Rue is produced under the SAG-AFTRA new media contract. Thanks SAG-AFTRA for your continued support. I hope you've been inspired, I hope you learned something, and I hope you feel better than you did before you were listening. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you next week. your best you. The Whole Artist with Courtney Rue is a Pod Clubhouse original production. Produced, engineered, and edited at Pod Clubhouse Studios. Follow us online at podclubhouse.com.